Thank you very much, Chris. It's good to be back at Cole Community Church. I haven't been here for about eight years, maybe ten, I can't even remember. But uh, good to see you all. I don't recognize most of you, and probably most of you don't recognize me either. But it's good to be with you on this Mother's Day. I was hoping to see Dave Roper, whom I have known since he graduated from seminary. But as usual, all these old pastor friends of yours, they say, I can't wait to have you come to our church. And then when you come, they go fishing. And that's, uh, that's where he is today, whether you knew it or not, or whether you wanted me to tell you or not. I know he's gone fishing, and I resent that. And uh, I'm, In fact, I'm glad he's out of here because uh, <clears throat> he's such a good preacher and Bible teacher. I'm not about to have him sit there judging everything I say. Uh, but uh, this second group seems to be a little more alive than the eight, whatever. The nine o'clock bunch were really asleep. I tell you, they come early and they haven't had coffee yet, and uh, it was good. But I certainly thank Chris and all of the pastors of this church and the missions committee for having us. My wife and I happen to be in the area, as he said, for some other business. And I'm just delighted to come in and say thank you. You may not know it, most of you probably, but the church supports us. Or used to, I haven't checked the printout, but uh, uh, they did the last time I checked. And uh, I certainly thank you, because even though the Lord has been good and used us in campaigns in many parts of the world, and a lot of people come to the meetings, and quite a number come to Christ, in practice we're still missionaries. We still depend on churches to support us and individuals. We don't have, I'm not a television evangelist, I'm just an evangelist. And uh, <coughs> so uh, somebody has asked me a lot about all this business that has been going on. And uh, we never ask for money on television. We haven't done it for 25 years, simply because we felt that it dishonors the Lord to ask the unbelievers for money. Not that it's wrong for others to do it. I'm not saying that. We don't feel peace about it. So we always have to ask our friends behind the scenes and really jump on them. But uh, we won't do it in public, and we won't do it on TV. And I think what's happened kind of bears out that we probably did the right thing for us. I'm not saying it's wrong for others. Don't misunderstand. So I'm very grateful for every church and every family that supports us. And this is one that's been faithful for many years, and we're very thankful to the Lord. (coughs) I uh, just came back from Africa. And that's not why I'm coughing. Uh, I just came back from Africa. And we've had some ministry in Fiji and New Zealand and Australia in the last six weeks. We've had some fabulous campaigns with people coming to Jesus Christ. And if I had time to tell you all the things that went on, the beautiful open doors, you would thank the Lord for sending a hundred bucks a month. Because the multiplication of it is worth it all the way. Uh, In uh, Fiji which is basically (coughs) a country that is inhabited by Fijians and by Indians. People from India, 51% are Indians, about 15,000 are Muslims, the rest are Protestant and Catholic, the other 48%. And uh, in four days, 2,500 people came to Jesus Christ. An amazing opening. If any of you young fellows or girls, or older ones too, but I don't know why I thought of young ones, if you have a gift of evangelism, and you enjoy the heat, go to Fiji, and win a lot of Fijians to Jesus Christ. They are wide open to the gospel. It's really amazing. And uh, I wish I'd have stayed more than four days. Believe me, it's wide open from the highest levels of the high commissioner that represents the queen 
all the way to the humble, everyday people. The Hindus are quite open. The Muslims are a little tougher, but even they are open when you realize that you love them. And then, <coughs> also, I wish you'd pray for us in the next few months. Let me give you just a quick rundown. Uh, I'm going today to Washington State. There's a little cow town called Mount Vernon, Washington. My friend, how are you? He's already coming forward. Uh, uh, <laughs> actually, he's an elder in this church. A young elder, but an elder. And um, thank you. Shall I drink it to make him feel good? Thank you, John. Um, no, uh, what was I saying? Yes, I'm going to Washington State. There's a little town called Mount Vernon and a valley called Skagit Valley. And we're going to have a campaign beginning tonight with television. The Canadian friends up in B.C. are putting up a little money. We're going to be on a channel called Channel 12 <coughs> in, uh, in Bellingham, Washington. And we have counseling by, by television. I don't preach. I counsel people who call in and lead them to Jesus Christ. And then if you have any relatives between Seattle and Vancouver, call them up. Tell them to come to the community college in Mount Vernon because we see a sense of revival up there. And even though they're little communities, the Holy Spirit is moving with mighty power. If you've got any relatives, send them to me, especially if they don't know Jesus Christ. But even if they know him, tell them to come anyway. And then in July, God willing, we're going to Poland. <coughs> I'm not sick or anything. This is just a bad thing that happened to me. I preached too loud in New Zealand, and uh, it was cold, and I don't know what happened. I wrecked my voice. I hope it gets better. But... Um, we're going to Poland July 5 to 12, and we're putting up a tent, and uh, the government of Poland has authorized it, and we'll open up the flaps. It only seats 3,000, but they're expecting about 8,000 young people every night, southwest of Krakow, and it's going to be a whole week in July. We've printed 30,000 living New Testaments with the four laws in the back, and also some follow-up materials of Campus Crusade, which is good Bible studies. I wish you'd really pray that the Lord would anoint us and give us great power and wisdom. We are making contacts to see if we can also talk to the General Jaruzelski, who's the head man in the government. Apparently there's a chance that I'll be able to meet him. And whenever we have these opportunities, I always give the gospel. Whether they're right wing, left wing, in between, or far out, I don't care. If they're people, we give them the gospel. So pray that the Lord will allow us to do it. There's good connections, and uh, right now the doors are open. I won't give you the details, but there's good reasons for that. And then we're going to Mexico, and in November to Hong Kong, and then we're going to Denmark next April. I wish you'd pray. If you've got any Danish relatives, I tell you, there's hard old Protestants up in Denmark. But pray that the Lord will really touch them. Not easy. Believe me, it's probably the hardest country in all of Europe. Harder than Russia, harder than Poland is Denmark. They're all Protestants, but very few are alive to Jesus Christ. So pray that the Lord will really use us over there. Uh, the Lord is moving. He's moving. But we need more. Now, um, if you want to know more about the team, which I suppose I doubt, but if you do, that's positive thinking. Uh, there's a table back there and a young man named Todd, a member of your church. We have a few of these. I don't know if there are any left, Todd. But pick one up. And if you want to stay in touch with the team... I know that the missions committee always puts out literature back there, but if you want to get the prayer letter, give me your name and address, and I'd love to keep you up on what the Lord is doing. We need your prayers, we value your support, and so stay in touch that way. 
Now this morning is Mother's Day, as you know and has been repeated. I'd like to turn to a passage in the book of Psalms, if you've got it. Psalms chapter 37. And we're going to read only 11 verses of Psalms chapter 37. The, um, the other thing I want to say as you're looking it up, if you're a visitor in this church, come back next Sunday. Don't judge the church by me. I'm just a visitor too. And uh, they got super Bible teachers here. They teach the Bible very well. And in fact, this morning, I'm not even going to pretend to compete with the Bible teachers they've got here. I can teach the Bible. I enjoy teaching it. But I want to tell you some things that I think will encourage you. But first of all, I'd like to read Psalms 37. It says, Don't fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Now let's turn to Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. Proverbs 11:30, And just one verse. A verse that struck me when I was a teenager down in Argentina and that God really used to encourage me to try and win people to Himself. Verse 30 says of Proverbs 11, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Let's read it again. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise is wise. If you've never memorized that verse, I challenge you to memorize it and to make it a part of your life as a man or a woman, a mother or a single. Now, you know, God is at work around the world in a fantastic way in our day. Here in America, I'm not sure how to see the work of God. There's so much going on, so many religious things going on, Some of it biblical, some of it non-biblical, some of it anti-biblical. It's hard to know what God is doing in the world. But you know, all over the world, God is moving with tremendous power. And God is at work at all levels of society across the world. I've been tempted in the second service, and there's usually a little more time than the first service. But uh, I've been tempted to take you on a flight around the world, which I didn't do in the first service. But you know... If you look at the globe of the world, and you look at it in just big continental chunks, if you, uh, uh, let me give you a quick picture. I wasn't going to do it. I hope it doesn't take too long. Lord, help me. 
But uh, uh, one day I was flying back. I'd been from Portland, where I live, to Los Angeles for a Spanish Congress on Evangelism. We went to, uh, with my wife to New Zealand to prepare the crusade in New Zealand, then to Australia, then to Singapore, then flew over uh, Saudi Arabia to England, all of this with ministry, then to Germany, then to Mexico City, and back home. And so for the first time in my life, I'd flown around the world and stopped in various continents and flown over Africa. And as I was flying over Saudi Arabia, the sun was rising, and from way up 38,000 feet, you could see the Saudi Arabian or the Arabian Peninsula. And I began to think, my soul, I'm going around the world. And to think that the Lord has allowed me to preach in these countries. And for some reason, I began to think of the various continents. And you know, Asia today is like a virgin ready to be wooed by Jesus Christ. And if I had time to tell you, although probably you know it because you've got a good missions committee here and uh, Rudell is a good missions man. But you know, in Asia, thousands, no, millions of people are coming to Jesus Christ and they're being wooed to Jesus Christ in the most amazing way. Fortunately, Asia, I call it a virgin because it's not corrupted by Western Christianity with all the baloney that we've added to Christianity. All the outward forms, all the dresses, all the candles, all the stuff that we've added that when you look at the Bible, it just isn't there. And Asia has been blessed with a minimum of westernization and a lot of Bible. And you probably know that in Red China, the experts are saying there are probably minimum 75 million Chinese who are following Jesus Christ today in Red China. When the missionaries were kicked out in 1948, there was only 1 million Protestants and 1 million Catholics. And now, without missionaries... There are 75 million minimum who follow Jesus Christ. Then you go to Africa. Africa is like a raging fire. The fire is raging all across Africa, south of the Sahara. And people are coming to Christ. Churches are growing. But the problem with fire, fire gets out of control and jumps its boundaries and can become very dangerous. And in Africa today, even though many, many thousands are coming to Christ every year... The danger is that there are a lot of self-appointed prophets, a lot, a lack of Bible teaching, a lack of Bible teachers, and people are beginning to mix Christianity with paganism and with animism, and it can get corrupted, as it did in northern Africa in the early days of Christianity. So if God calls any of you to be Bible teachers in Africa, believe me, Africa needs Bible teaching. Then you go over to Latin America, where I come from. I come from Argentina. Latin America, to me, is like a little hungry girl. She is hungry like crazy. She's already eating, but she keeps saying, give me more, give me more, give me more. In Latin America, it appears that there's no end to the millions who are coming to Jesus Christ. The church is growing. Churches are being planted. There is pretty good Bible teaching. The church is just going on and on and on, and there's still room for more. Then you go to Europe. Europe, to me is like a beaten-up, drunken old woman on a Saturday night on a street in Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, I've never been to Frankfurt except the airport, but for some reason that's the way I painted. Europe is a beaten-up, drunk old woman. She's gotten drunk, she's been rolled over, her purse has been stolen, and she's cynical, sarcastic, she doesn't believe in anybody, 
She hates everybody. That is Europe spiritually today. And don't be fooled if you're a tourist because Zurich looks so good and the window displays are great and the watches are first rate and everybody looks ever so happy. Underneath all the facade, the Europeans are more pagan than most Latin Americans today. Uh, A German theologian said, Europe is a continent of baptized pagans. And that is the absolute truth. Uh, But, on the other hand, if you turn the little old drunken lady over, she's got a baby in her arms, and the baby is alive and well. And the picture I like about that is because the young generation in Europe is alive, is being revived. In the British Isles, they're coming to Christ. In Germany, they're coming to Christ. In France, who would have thought in France there's a movement among the young people? Then you go to the communist world. To me, the picture I think of the communist world of what's happening The communist world is like a motel in Southern California. Have you ever been to a motel? It's it's ugly. There's Southern California ugly motels. But the main thing about it is this. If you're ever in a motel in Southern California, always put the chain on. And uh, to me, the communist world has got, is in a motel. The chain is on the door. And the communists are looking out the door. And they're saying, What is all this noise about Christianity? What are all these Christians making such a racket about? Because in the communist countries, not only China, but Russia, Poland, many places of Eastern Europe, there is a great movement of God taking place. Fortunately, nobody's made a movie of it, and I hope nobody writes a book, which is a typical American thing to do. I wish they shut them all down. Because when God is moving, sometimes it's better to not make a big racket about it. Let God speak for himself. But you know, behind the iron curtain, badly so-called, God is moving with mighty power. And I want to tell you something quickly if I have time. And then um, the Muslim world, unfortunately, is like little oases. A little one here, a little one there, a little one over there. But even in the Muslim world, with its 800 million Islamic people, there is a movement of God secretly, quietly taking place. There's a long way to go, but there's a lot of hungry people. And I feel that before the year 2000, before I die, hopefully anyway, I think we're going to see the Muslims come by the thousands to Jesus Christ. And there are enough of them coming that it's a token of what's going to come. I won't tell you about America because you know all about it. But uh, if I was a painter, I'll tell you what i do. If I was a painter and they said to me, paint a picture of America spiritually. You know what I would do? I would paint a canvas as big as a bank building with a wide open mouth like this. That's the USA. America, everybody talks and nobody listens. And everybody knows everything in America, especially about spiritual things. And people are in trouble, people break up, people hurt, but they keep on gab, gab, gab instead of listening to the Lord. I wish I was a good painter, but I'm not. So, thank the Lord for America. Now, I want to tell you three things. The verse says this. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And those who win souls are wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And those who win souls are wise. God is moving around the world. But God is moving through people. And those are the people like you and I who are to be the instruments of God. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. 
And those who win souls are wise. The question is this. Are you allowing God to win souls through you? Now I know there's a difference between those who have the gift of evangelism and Christians who have other gifts. I understand that. Uh, the Lord has given me the gift of evangelism and it seems like those who have the gift are able to lead people to Christ easier than others. I don't know why. I don't consider myself very gifted. To be very honest, I consider myself very dull and very boring, uncreative. I really am. I'm not artistic. I'm not fun. I'm just a bore. But the Lord just chooses to use me just because He gives you the gift. Like He gives Ropa the gift of teaching and He gets up and He teaches. And they tell me He doesn't even use notes. Can you imagine? Uh, you know, although I saw a computer in his office. So uh, who knows where he gets his notes. But uh, anyway, uh, the, the thing is this. I know there's a difference. But you know the Bible teaches that every man and every woman who belongs to Jesus Christ has the right to expect to be used of God to lead some people to Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you not to give up and to say to the Lord, Lord, use me to win at least one person before I kick the bucket and have to go face you and lead at least one person to the feet of Jesus Christ. It is your right and your privilege. You remember what Jesus said? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If you're following Jesus Christ, there's bound to be a chance in your life at least once but once you get it in your system, you want more and more. You get very greedy. When you get into uh, the experience of leading someone to Christ, your blood begins to boil and you say, man, give me more, give me more. And you never want to quit. Get over the barrier of the first one. Now, I wasn't going to preach. I leave that to Roper. I want to tell you how God is moving. And I wanted to tell you about three women uh, in whose lives God has moved with mighty power and then a fourth one. I don't know if I'll get to all three, but... The first one is a member of the royal family in England, a mother of young children. The second one is a woman who later went to be with the Lord, who had no children physically. She and her husband, the Lord never gave them children, but she's had many spiritual children. And then the third one, which I know I won't get to, although I'd like to, and I won't, I can see. Uh, she's a Peruvian lady who was a single mother because of immorality, but she was converted, a communist, guerrilla fighter, uh, an assistant to Che Guevara, who was a Castro's friend in Cuba, who was converted in a dramatic way. She has this 14, 17-year-old boy now because she had him when she was a single mother when she was a teenager. But she takes care of 2,500 children, not her own, uh, you know, in Peru that she feeds and educates and she teaches them the things of the Lord. But let me start from the beginning with the first one. The Bible says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and those who win souls are wise. When we went to England in 1983, we were having a crusade in London, and it was to go on 15 weeks. London is a big city. If you've been there on tourism or whatever, you know it's spread out. It really isn't one city. It's 48 cities that we call London, but each one is a different little town within the greater London. And the Lord called us over there. There was about 1,700 churches cooperating, many of them petty, small little churches of 25 people, 15 people, 40 people, all over the inner city of London. But London is a very tough town, very secular. Uh, you know, fashion-wise, it's wild. 
music wise you know the music comes from from Britain and one of my dreams well we had 10 campaigns in the inner city where there's a lot of Hindus and Muslims and then blue collar English all the blue the white collar people live way outside 10 20 30 miles out of London come in by train or by car or subway or underground but we wanted to have this campaign and then we went for six weeks to the stadium one of my dreams since I was a boy was if the Lord ever takes me to evangelize in England, I want to be sure that we evangelize not only the children, not only the masses of the people, but even the upper class and especially the royal family. My mother has a Scottish dad and she always had a picture of the Queen of England in our house. I don't know why, but she did. And so when I was a kid, I always say, when we go to England, we've got to evangelize the royal family. So when the committee got together, a bunch of businessmen, and unfortunately, in a sense, our campaign came right after Argentina had had a war with England. And I'm Argentinian, and fortunately, we lost the war, which was good. And, uh, you know, one Argentine poet was asked about the Falklands War. They said, what do you think about the war between Argentina and Britain over the Falklands? And he said, oh, he said, that war was two bald men fighting over a comb. And you know, there's a point there, because the Falkland Islands is absolutely nothing. There's nothing there. But anyway, we went over there, and I said to the committee, I want to witness and have a chance to witness to the royal family. And they said, hey, Luis, here in Britain, we don't do such things. You South Americans, you're wild, and you think you can just knock on, you don't go to the castle and say, hello, Liz, have you ever heard of the four laws? You know, you just don't do that here in Britain. And I said, look, I know my dad sent me to British boarding schools. I know the British ways and hang-ups and everything. But I said, I believe the Lord could open the door. And they said, well, it's very difficult. We don't have enough contacts. And I began to get a little impatient because I said to him, look, I know a young businessman. He goes fishing with Queen, uh, Prince Charles and, his, and, and, and so on. I can go through him if you guys can't put it together. So after a little squeezing and pushing and as you know, the 10th Beatitude says, Blessed are the pushers, for they shall get ahead. And uh, so I uh, began to twist a few arms and so on. And uh, finally, the chairman said, All right, all right, we think we have a connection. Because of business, we'll set it up. And then they wrote to us and said, Look, Luis, you're coming for 15 weeks. You're going to be given a welcome to London by a princess and a husband and other members of royalty and lords and ladies in a very private dinner. Uh, so come ready. So I arrived a week early. They were really nervous, these brothers, because they were afraid that when I got with these people from upper class that I would sit there and dump the four laws down their throat, you know, and you get converted, which I was going to do. And, uh, <laughs> but they were afraid that I would do it with a lack of class. And so they had to train me about uh, how you curtsy to these people and you always say your royal highness your royal highness you never address them unless they address you you always take a step back and all this stuff that goes on well very important i'm sure and uh, so the first step was we had a cocktail party for all these people they did it i was there and um, then i was supposed to give a speech on the influence of the british empire over the rest of the world i said fine i'll talk about that 
and the, and the main influence was their missionaries anyway. So uh, we, after we went there, we sat around this table, about 150 people, a really nice place, very fancy, a la British style. And uh, they sat me down beside the princess. Her husband was about 10 chairs down talking to somebody else. I had a lord something to my right, a young fellow, about 28, 29, really nice fellow. He knew the Lord, by the way, and he's a friend of Charles and Diana, uh, very personal. They live next to each other. I'll tell you in a minute. And uh, so uh, we sat down, and uh, this princess, who's a beautiful lady that you see in many pictures very often, she said to me, now, Dr. Palau, I wanted to talk to an evangelist for years because I have two questions I want to ask you. But before I talk to you, I'm going to take 20 minutes and talk to Mr. Pickford. Then I'll turn to you, and I'll talk with you. Is that all right? Israel Highness, you know. I said, I'm going to eat fast so I don't drip on my tie or something, you know. And so she talked to Mr. Pickford for exactly 20 minutes. On the button, she turned around and she said, Now, Dr. Palau, I have two questions, and I hope you can help me. She said, First of all, do you have the assurance of eternal life? And if you do, <clears throat> how did you come about it? And if one wanted to have the assurance of eternal life, how would one go about finding the assurance of eternal life? Do you think you can help me? And, oh, yes, Your Royal Highness. I think I can help you, you know. And, uh, but this was not public. Now, the others were all eating. We were just whispering, you know. And uh, people are not supposed to stare in those situations. They say, don't you ever stare. You can look out of the corner of your eyes, sort of like you don't care, but you're not supposed to go like this and say, ooh, wow, you know. So you're just... And then she said, the second question is this. I hear that you have four sons. Do you read the Bible and pray with them daily? And if you do, what do you do? And if one wants to do that with one's own children, how does one go about it? They always speak in the third person, whatever. And uh, I said, well... I think one could help you to one whatever, you know. And uh, so we began, and it was really beautiful to be able to see that this beautiful lady was hungry to know eternal life. So I did what probably every one of you here in this room, if you had a chance, would do. I opened up. No, I didn't have a, I had my Bible in my pocket, but I gave her verses. I said to her, Your Royal Highness, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose from the dead. She said, I know that. And I said, you got to believe that. She said, I believe that. She, I said, well, he says, I give them eternal life, John 10, 28. They shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. First John chapter 5, God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. To all those who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives them power to become children of God. He who believes in the Son of God has eternal life. He who does not believe in the Son of God does not have life, but the wrath of God is on him. And then the verse of Revelation 2.10, uh, 2.20, whatever. 2.20, isn't it? I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into you. And suddenly she said, but there was no shouting. This was all whispering. She said, this is my problem. How do I get Jesus to come into my life? She said, I know that he gives eternal life. I know that he is eternal life. But how does he come in? Now, I had done what my businessman friend 
was hoping I wouldn't do. I carried two little four spiritual laws books in my pocket. And I, I wanted to lead her in prayer because I said to her, Your Royal Highness, all you have to do is to invite him into your heart. You just simply pray a little prayer. You open the door of your heart and you say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. But she says, what is the prayer? Where shall I get it? Because they're used to the prayer book in the Anglican church, you know. And I said, I bent low so that, because everybody I knew was looking at me. So I bent low and I put my hand in my shirt pocket and I put this and I said, Your Highness, put this in your purse. And uh, at, at the back, there's a little prayer. And I said, tonight when you go home, why don't you explain to your husband what I just told you? And it's in this little booklet. And I said, get on your knees. Put your arms around each other on your knees by your bed, which is what I tell people everywhere. And I said, you together pray this prayer and invite Jesus Christ into your heart. She said, I'm going to do it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. She was all excited. Then I said, uh, now, as to reading the Bible, I explained what I did with my boys when they were little, where the wife did what I did. She thanked me. And then I got curious. And I said, Your Royal Highness, what made you think that a person can have the assurance of eternal life? Where did you get that idea, that phrase? And where did you get the thinking that you should read the Bible and pray with your children every day if possible? She said, this is very interesting. She said, a few months ago, we were in South Africa for a tour, and we were having a reception. And in the reception line, as about a thousand people walked by to say, you know, whatever. She said, about halfway through, a man came up, a businessman that I don't know, she said. He came up, shook my hand, and as he shook my hand and said something, he put his hand in his pocket and pulled out a little book. And she said, as he was pulling the book out, the secret police jumped on him and almost killed the poor man. And because they thought he was pulling something else out. When I saw that it was a book, she said, I said to them, no, 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 I want the book. Because the man had said, as he shook hands, he said, Your Royal Highness, the Lord has told me to give you this book. So she said, I want the book. And she said, it's a book with daily readings, with a little passage, a little commentary, a prayer at the end. And she said, it's got enough for, uh, for, every, for three months. And she said, I have read it through now for four weeks. Uh, four times. She said, I'm getting a little tired. She said, do you think I could get some more of these? And I said, Your Royal Highness, could you tell me what the name of the book was? And she said, oh yes, it was called Our Daily Bread. And I said, Grand Rapids, Michigan? She said, that's right, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And she said, do you think you could get me some more? I said, some more? I could send you a ton. You know, most churches have piles of them in the back. I don't know who brings them in, but they sit there. But isn't that interesting now? Here is a person of the highest levels of society in the world. Most people would have been so cowardly to say anything to her about the Lord. In her soul, she was hungry for eternal life, hungry for salvation, hungry for assurance, and hungry to teach her children the ways of God. That businessman in South Africa, I don't know who he is. He probably will never know this side of heaven, what the Lord has done by giving that little booklet to that woman. But the result of it that I know, and there must be other results, 
is this, among other things. I got a letter two weeks ago, about ten days ago, from the, the Mr. Pickford who was on the other side. And he said, I want you to know that the princess has been growing by leaps and bounds spiritually and that she's really bright and brilliant for Jesus Christ. But two things have come out of it that I happen to know that are powerful. One, last November they had in England the first national parliamentary prayer breakfast. Now here in the States we're used to it with the president all the time. The English have always had this idea. They say you don't wear your religion on your sleeve, which means you keep it private. But the Lord has been brewing underground, mostly because of young people. But now it's broken into these levels of society. And among other reasons, because of this princess's conversion to Christ, the doors have opened up and members of parliament are coming out into the open to confess that they believe in Jesus Christ. Prayer groups are taking place, place in parliament. Bible studies at the highest, richest levels that you can imagine are coming to Jesus Christ. And as a result... Many are coming from the continent of Europe to observe what is happening. The second thing is this. The fellow, the gentleman who was to my right, this young man, he said to me, you know, Mr. Palau, uh, Prince Charles and Princess Diana love and always long to be taught the Bible. He said, we want to invite you to come to teach us the gospel of John because he said they have a cottage next to mine in the Midlands in the Cotswolds and he said, if you could come and spend three, five, or seven days, we would like to get together and study the Gospel of John. Because for some reason, all of us feel that that's a terrific book to study. Well, we've, we're in correspondence. Possibly this summer, Pat and I are going to be there. If they don't have conflicts, we will be going up there. My wife doesn't like these kind of levels. She likes them, but should I say, well, I've started. I said it to the other group. She'll probably kill me at lunch. But uh, she gets, it's, it is very nerve-wracking because you're always afraid, are you going to stick your foot in it, you know. But actually, when all is said and done, they're just people. And you know, when you're nose-to-nose like I was with her, finally I quit the Royal Highness bit. And I just began to talk to her like any other person you're counseling because she's just another person. And I wish you'd pray for that. But you know, I want to encourage you this way. Some of you are businessmen. You meet with high-flying people. But many times Christian businessmen try to keep the two things separate. And they feel business is business, religion is religion. I don't want to lose a deal for my company. I don't want to be demoted. I don't want to lose a sale. I'm not going to talk about the Lord. But I don't know who that African businessman is. But in heaven he's going to have himself a surprise. When he realizes he may never be invited to another cocktail party for doing what he did. But he led not only a very important person to the Lord... But who knows how many others yet to come are going to be open because of one businessman that took his reputation in his hand, did what the Holy Spirit told him to do. The other person, and I'm going to go quickly because I know it's time to go. This church service goes fast. Uh, at least it seems to me. But um, shall I tell you? you think I should? No. No, the pastor looks at me very serious. Okay, let me tell you very quickly without too many details. It's about a couple uh, who are Europeans. I'm going to cut a lot of the story and get to the point quickly. But the color often is nice. But uh, they are business people. I met them with Pat when we were at the presidential breakfast in, in, in Washington, D.C. I won't give you the details. But both he and she are massive people. Not in the sense of, you know, too much eating, but just big. Big 
from a certain country in Europe where they're all big, men and women, and about six foot two or three or four, enormous, just big. They could have been both football players. And uh, Mr. and Mrs. Van something, I'll call them Van, they uh, invited us over. One day they heard me at the presidential deal going on. He said, what you said this morning would fit the politicians and bankers in my country. When you come, let me know. So one day we were invited to do some youth work in this country, in Europe, and we called it, we wrote him ahead and said, Mr. Van, we're coming. If you want to do something with bankers and politicians, let me know. He wrote back and he said, we've got it. We're going to get this and that. And they got, they got a beautiful farm outside the capital city of this country. They got pigs, they got horses, cows. It's beautiful place. And uh, so what they, they did was they brought these bankers and these fellows together and uh, they, I gave them the gospel, real good interaction after a super meal that they laid on. And uh, when they were all gone, and I had to go to the airport to leave town, an interesting little incident happened that leads to the story I want to tell you. Uh, they had been businessmen in Africa, and they brought all sorts of things they'd hunted. And uh, the lady, though, quite very well off financially, she was not the best house organizer, you know. And the, the living room was stacked with stuff all over the place, things that the old man had hunted and animals and mementos from Africa. And I thought to myself, wow, if Pat came in here, she'd organize this place because it was just a, like a jungle. And uh, I saw some pigs and I said, oh, you got some pigs. Are these from Africa? My wife collects pigs, you know. She thinks God really loves pigs. That's why she wouldn't let the Jews eat them, because he loves them so much. And uh, she said, oh, she said, your wife likes pigs. She said, I'm going to send a little present to your wife. And she went and she picked two beautiful Russian-made marble, Russian marble pigs. She said, I'm going to give this for you to take to your wife for her collection. And she said, there's a little story behind this, but I know you're in a hurry. And somehow I'm glad. I said, tell me the story. Tell me the story. And she said, you know, my husband and I, when we came back from Africa, sold all the businesses. We didn't need to work anymore. They were in the late 60s. But he said, she said, we love the Russian people. And we decided that we wanted to evangelize Russians and business was the best way to get in and out. So we studied some Russian and also we go in and out of Russia. And when Russians come to Europe for whatever convention or conference, we try to find out they have good connections in high levels, and they get into these conferences, they befriend the Russian high-flying people, bring them over to their property, which is absolutely magnificent, and then they take the opportunity to give them the gospel. And they have a technique. Uh, so one day he told, she told me, these, these, this is the pigs, where did they come from? This four-star Russian general. They were having a peace conference in this one country where this couple comes from, and so they found out that the big man coming was a four-star Russian general plus others. So they found out everything they could about the general. They found out that he liked horseback riding. He liked swimming. So they said, great, let's get him. So they went up to him one day at the convention and said, General so-and-so, we know that you love horseback riding, that you are very, very gifted and very capable. We have some fine horses on our property. Would you like to come and ride horses? We also have a swimming pool you might enjoy. The general was, said, I'd love to come, he said. But my friend here has to come also. It was a, a shadow, a KGB fellow. And uh, Mr. and Mrs. Van said, of course, bring anybody you want. We'll lay on a dinner for you. So they brought him over to the farm, and they have a technique. Because they don't just ram them with it, they plan. 
So what they do is they serve a fir- first they let them roam the farm, horseback ride, swim. Then they lay on a first-rate lunch in this case. And they never talk about the Lord except when the coffee time comes. Up to then, it's politics, business, horses, pigs, whatever. And religion, the gospel, at coffee time. So uh, they finished the dinner. It was just he and the KGB fellow who shadowed him. And uh, they, the Mr. and Mrs. came with a cappuccino to the living room. They left the other stuff behind. And Mrs. Van Egan opened up. Now, remember, she was as big as the general. I mean a big woman. And tough and kind, all of it combined. She said, General, they were standing up. You must be a child of God. And this Russian general says, Oh, I'm going to be a child of God. I don't even believe in God. I'm an atheist. She said, Oh, no, no, no. She said, Do you know what? Aren't we in a peace conference over here? And he said, Well, yes, we are, of course. He said, Do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. So you must be a child of God. (laughs) The theology, I'm glad Roper is fishing this morning, you know. It's very weak in the approach. But you know what happened? Suddenly, almost instantly, tears started coming down the cheeks of the general. Tears just coming down. Mrs. Van saw it immediately, and she said, General, why don't we sit over here? Mr. Van, who plays team with her, said to the shadow, why don't we come and sit over here, you know? And uh, to his surprise, the shadow had tears down his cheeks too. But Mrs. Van was over at this end, and uh, she's as tough as any Russian general. She said to him, General, when the others were at the other end, she said, General, why are you crying? He said, you know when you quoted that verse, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God, he said. It reminded me of my mother when he started to cry again. He said, when I was a little boy, my mother always used to read that verse to me. And when you quoted it, I just can't help but think of my mother. And he just sat there crying. Meanwhile, at the other end, the shadow was talking to Mr. Van. And he saw tears. And Mr. Van said to him, Sir, can I help you in any way? You seem to be upset about something. And the KGB fellow said, You know, I don't want to offend you. But you know, your wife reminds me of my mother. When I was a little boy, my mother always used to quote the verse, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And so, back at the other end, Mrs. Van said to the general, General, do you know God? The general said, No, I don't. But I've always wanted to, especially since my mother died. Mrs. Van Van said, "Um, General, You can meet God within 10 minutes if you really want to meet Him. He said, I do. At the other end, the mister was trying to do the same with the KGB fellow. And he said, no, thank you. I'd rather not talk about it. I just don't want the general to see that I'm crying. That's all. And Mr. Van entertained him while Mrs. was doing her job. In 10 minutes, she explained what Christ had done on the cross. She explained the resurrection from the dead. She explained what it is to open your heart to Jesus Christ. And that general opened his heart to Christ in less than 15 minutes. A year later, Mrs. Van had gone to be with the Lord. She had a heart attack and she died. I went back to this country. Uh, Mr. Van had organized a luncheon in a fancy hotel for me to speak to businessmen in the heart of this big city in Europe. 
And I sat beside him at the lunch and I suddenly remembered the general. And I said, Ernest, I'm intrigued by general so-and-so. Have you seen him lately? And Mr. Van said, man, I was there three months ago. He is walking with God. Not only is he walking with God, he's got himself a Bible study going with other generals, about eight or ten of them. They study the Bible every week. They're praying for each other. And I think the Lord is doing a great work among the top brass of Russia's military establishment. Now, you know, I think about these things and I say, how marvelous it is to be an instrument of God to lead souls to Jesus Christ. These two people could have sat down with this general and they could have said, you darn criminal, you're killing all the Afghans over there in Afghanistan. You're trying to take over the world. You miserable pigs, you know, and start insulting him. She would have gotten a great kick, felt good, and nothing happened. She loved this Russian. He loved this Russian. They led him to Jesus Christ. And who can tell the influence that they could have not only militarily, but politically, around the world. But more than that, the eternal salvation of the soul of many Russian people. And you know, when I think of it, here it is Mother's Day. The first one, a princess in the royal family. The others, Russian mothers who are now dead, who nevertheless yet speak, as the Bible says, because they taught Bible verses to their boys when they were little boys. I presume that if those mothers were real believers, which they probably were, they probably died and probably died beating their breast and feeling that they had failed because their boy was a communist, a military man, and probably never was going to surrender to Jesus. Now she's in heaven, and one day she's going to see her boy uh, come to Jesus Christ because she implanted the Word of God in her boy when he was a little boy. John Wesley one of the greatest revivalists in the history of the world that saved Great Britain by his preaching from a revolution like the French Revolution, one day said, I learned more about God from my mother than all the theologians of Europe. And you know, most of us preachers could probably say the same. God can teach a boy and a girl more about God than any theologian if a mother really walks with Jesus Christ. Now, I've got to finish. I cannot tell you about the Peruvian woman. Ten years from now, they'll call me back to preach to you. And uh, you teenagers will be mothers, and we'll have another Mother's Day. And I'll tell you about this woman. But it's a beautiful story of a Marxist-Leninist, far more rabid than those generals, a fighter, a killer. She has personally killed 12 policemen with her own hands. She's karate black belt. She walks in here, you'd all open up. Because she is a very nice lady, but if she gets you, you're finished. Because she learned how to boom. And uh, she has really done it many times. But one day, she came to one of our campaigns in Lima, Peru. She wanted to kill me. The story is amazing. She wanted to shoot me. She hated me because she heard me on the radio. But the gospel of Jesus Christ hit her just like that. It was the only time I preached on hell. I've only preached on hell directly three times in my life. Now, I speak about hell, but a whole sermon on hell, I've only learned it three times. And that was one time. And she stood back there with her pistol, ready to kill me. Me. You know, me. That's a, a nice boy, you know. But she stood there, 
And then 10 years later, I didn't know anything about this, till 10 years later, I met her two years ago. And she said, you know, as I stood in the back waiting for my chance to get you, you, you started undressing me spiritually, like in front of the crowd. You took one strip, another strip, till I stood there so mad at you, and yet knowing that it was the truth. She went home, I'll cut the story, she went home, was converted at 5, 5 a.m. She jumped out of her bed and said, God, if there is a God, please forgive me. Adultery, drinking, killing the works. Today, she's more of a saint than Mother Teresa. Believe me, I wish they'd give her the Nobel Peace Prize. She's over there, unknown by most people, takes care of 2,500 orphans. She's made five schools for them, started five churches. A tremendous woman, very unpretentious. You would have never thought she was a guerrilla killer, but uh, know that she's a saint now. She just looks like any old frau anywhere in the world. Just, you know, just like this. But she's got a heart that is absolutely fantastic. And she's got guts that you can't imagine. Now let me finish with this. You all look very smart here this morning. You fellows lucky you don't have to wear a coat like I have to. Just relax, Idaho style. You women all look lovely, most of you. Uh, you know, just uh, uh, you look alert, alive. A few, a few look like, get on with it and let's finish. But most of you are quite happy and you look fine and nicely dressed. But what's going on in your heart? What's going on in your heart? Some of you men, you probably came because your mother twisted your arm and says, it's my day, you got to come. So you came and you can't wait for me to quit and I'm quitting in two minutes. But I want to ask you this. Are you one of those old boys? You've been successful perhaps in business. You did pretty well in your studies. You think pretty highly of yourself. And yet if you were to be honest, you do not have the assurance of eternal life. And your mother maybe taught you Bible verses like these Russians. But you have been hard, out of pride, out of who knows what, stubbornness. Or because you think you're too guilty to be forgiven by God. There's many men here this morning. I speak to you men on Mother's Day. Rather than cry a little tear and give your mama some chocolates, the best thing you could do, whether she's alive or dead, is to get on your knees this afternoon and give your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never done it. And you mothers, you young mothers, teach your children the Word of God. Help them to memorize passages from the Bible. In this generation, it isn't being done. And we're going to pay for it 20 years from today. Teach your children memory passages. Chapters even. Get them to know the Word of God. Because it will do them no end of good now and in years to come. And all of you, remember what we said at the beginning? I didn't say it. The Bible says it. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And those who win souls are wise. When the whole story is over, there's only one thing that's going to count. Not whether you made a lot of money. It's going to be no good when you're gone. It stays behind. Uh, not whether you're rich or poor. Not whether everybody knew you or didn't know you. Not whether you were ever interviewed on Eyewitness News or not. But did you win anyone for the eternal kingdom of God? Everything else is petty stuff compared to leading people into the eternal kingdom of God. 
an old Dutch evangelist. She was a woman. Her name was Corrie ten Boom. Had a little poem. She's with the Lord now. And she wrote this poem. She said, When I enter that beautiful city, and the saints all around me appear, I hope that someone will tell me, it was you who invited me here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this half hour here at Cole Community. I thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness to you. I thank you for their love for me and the family and their support. And I pray, O oh Lord, that this Mother's Day, you would bless every mother, the young ones who are teaching their children to memorize your word, the older mothers who did their best, and yet their children are still rebellious. We pray that you would encourage their hearts to believe that your Holy Spirit will and can yet bring them back to yourself. I pray, Lord, for any men who may be here today, who've been playing games for many decades, and have refused to surrender to you. O oh Lord, if there's even one of those men here today, I pray that your blessed word would break their hearts and the very memory of their mother might do it, and that today they would surrender to Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, bless every mother here. Bless every family. We pray for the kids, the teenagers, who one day will get married, that they may form homes that are beautiful to your glory and a satisfaction to themselves. So, Lord, I thank you for this hour. In Jesus' name, amen.